Uh, well, good morning, everyone. And, and it, it's, um, it's good to be back at school. I never thought I could actually say that uh, as a 57-year-old man, you know, but there you go. And thank you, genuinely, thank you for lending me your ears. And, you know, I, I hope that when I finish saying what I'm going to say, that it'll, it'll be beneficial, as God, I truly believe, as, uh, wants it to be. Um, and, um, and there you go. So, my name is Nadim. Actually, I'm a rich, I would be technically a Muslim if I was to follow my father's religion. Uh, but I, he wasn't very religious. He was originally from the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan as an Im immigrant into this country in the 50s. And my mother is from France, uh, French, and would be technically a Catholic, I suppose, from that era. But my mother had a very bad uh, experience with Catholic nuns back in the 50s during the Second World War, that, that era, very, very little compassion and so forth. And so her life was not in any way characterized by really any, any form of religion or, or belief in God, just so you know. And my father, while I think it's a, I reflect on it now, an unusual thing about Muslim people, perhaps, is I'd say that they believe if you're born you know, from a Muslim father, then you are Muslim you know, as a son. I don't necessarily believe that at all, obviously. Uh, but my father wasn't really religious, though clung on to something a little bit, possibly because he was in a new country and it reminded him of something that he remembered when he was a child. But just to say, I grew up in a very non-religious household. Just so you know, that's my starting point. <coughs> and I'm here to share really with you today my testimony. And Tanya, who is here, my lovely wife, uh, and, and, uh, and the picture you can see here on the screen, this one, sorry, yeah, that one, thank you, sorry, uh, is actually of our family several years ago. And uh, you can see our son Alex and our daughter Natasha. And this, this picture was taken one year before she died. And um, a song that was played at my daughter's, our daughter Natasha's funeral is a song you may know called Jesus, You Died For Me by Sam Cox. It's something I only came to know about a number of years ago. And some of you may know it, and it starts with these words. You know, I fell in love with this world, went my own way, trusting in me. I made a plan on my own, trying to hide away from the light. Now these words, at that time in my life, couldn't have described me any better. Prior to uh, our daughter's death, Natasha, I can count on one hand, really, how many times I actually entered a church in my life. Now, um, she died six years ago, so I was 51 at that time. Um, those times were the, really, probably, you can guess, at my best friend's wedding, you know, and even then that was just really a, just to be there. My grandparents' funeral in France, and I think you get the picture, generally. I had absolutely no interest whatsoever in religion or faith at all. And in fact, I would, when I'd stay in hotels, if there was a Bible there, because there usually was a Bible when I'd travel around the world, I would get rid of it, chuck it into the drawer and close the drawer. That's definitely the way the Bible was for me. No interest at all. And I believed only in what I saw, literally in my, you know, in my way, as it were, in my mind, and in my own strength to make my way in the world. Now, I'd been an entrepreneur or business person, whatever you want to call it, really, since my early 20s. And with that outlook 
essentially on life came the usual trappings really and even though I was stressed most of the time that's you know I would say quite stressed and Tanya you can ask her about that later uh, there's nothing to hide at all here this is you know for the benefit to share my life our life uh, essentially in that way I was absolutely insecure and I would hide it or mask it and I was often in fight mode in a sort of mode of fight uh, to be a high achiever in my work and I accepted that was quite the norm to be honest um, and that was until of course 17th of July 2016 now it's important to say at this point to tell you that my daughter Natasha and my wife are here and you can see them on the picture up there were both Christians not that I even knew what that was by the way and they had been for some time on the other hand I was not and their journey to faith is a very, very different story than my own. Um, and you can ask Tanya, of course, about that uh, yourselves. It was the start of the summer holidays in 2016, school summer holidays, you know, academic holidays. And I was taking Natasha and her best friend, Bethany, to France for just four days as a special treat, really. And it was the first Sunday of the holidays, so school had just broken up you know, on the Friday, and then we were going on the Sunday, flying out. And the both girls were really excited. You can imagine, aged that age, lots of chitter-chatter, what songs they're going to listen to and share on, you know, their, what the iPod or whatever it was, you know, and so on and so on, and where they wanted to go. And Atania, my wife, was staying in London with Alex, our son, and they'd planned a whole load of things to do together uh, while we were away for those four days. And this, I should say, is the first time that um, we, as a family, had, had not been together for a holiday. So it was the first time we'd kind of slightly done two different things for a moment. Now, Natasha had some food allergies. Um, and some of you who have maybe have food allergies here, some of you in your family may have food allergies, or indeed friends, if not in this country, maybe relatives in your country of origin. Um, and she had food allergies, particularly to sesame seeds. Uh, she'd had them from an early age, uh, like a lot of children do. Um, and at the airport, Heathrow Airport, um, just before boarding the aeroplane, this is early in the morning, seven o'clock-ish flight, a lot of grumbling tummies when you get up early and you know, they need to eat something, basically. And we bought some food at a well-known chain uh, as the girls were hungry. Now, Natasha and I checked the ingredients. Bear in mind, if you're allergic to certain foods, you really look closely at what you're about to eat or to buy, etc. And bear in mind, we were really quite expert at this because we'd been doing this together as a family for many years. And we were quite happy that there was nothing in the sandwich that was, uh, that was untoward, and we bought it. Um, she ate it, basically, just before getting on the plane. Uh, and we boarded the plane and took off like that, for a two-hour flight. Now, we found out later that sesame seeds, hundreds of them, had been baked into the dough of the bread and were therefore not visible to the eye in the way we all think of sesame on the top of a bun, for example. Now, these were not there. They were inside the dough and not at all visible anyway. And nor was sesame marked as an ingredient on the ingredient label on the packet uh, of, the, uh, of the sandwich. Now, on board the plane, she started to feel quite unwell. So, there's her friend Bethany, 
by the window of the plane, Natasha next to me and myself in the aisle seat. Pretty typical me doing my own thing, reading a newspaper, the girls sharing an earphone each, you know, and listening to the same music, essentially. She started to feel really unwell, and she lifted her shirt up like that, etc. And I saw she had huge red welts all over her body like that, really massive and raised, um, like she'd been whipped, basically. And she was rapidly struggling to breathe and taking puffs from her asthma inhaler, as, she, as often people who are asthmatic would. I'm going to speed things up a bit here, but I injected her with two shots of adrenaline, basically, into her legs uh, to counter the allergic reaction. That's fairly straightforward stuff in principle. If any of you know that, we always carry adrenaline injector pens, as do all allergic people. And that's what you must do in such a medical situation. Now, what followed after that <clears throat> are definitely the worst moments of my life. So don't be put off if my voice changes. I become quite sad because it's very hard to say what I'm going to tell you now. Because I battled to save her life on the plane as she lay on her back in the narrow gangway of an aeroplane. Now, her last spoken words to me were, Help me, Daddy, I can't breathe. And those words definitely will ring with me until the day I leave this earth. And for an hour, a junior doctor who just happened to be on the plane and myself, we battled through endless CPR as Natasha went into multiple cardiac arrests. She couldn't breathe and the strain on the heart was just too much. Yet, me, who I was and I believed in myself as I mentioned earlier, I thought I would be able to save her. I was her father, and that gave me a sense of power, in effect, as I saw myself at that time. And she would be okay, because I was with her. Now, at that very point, as it had gone on now for an hour and a half, it dawned on me that she may not survive. Um, and I remember turning my head away in utter horror and as I did that, five angels actually appeared in front of me. I'll explain that because this is actually a miracle. Um, at this point, she was lying on the ground, on the floor, on her back, unconscious, completely unconscious, fully swollen up. The paramedics had been working away, working away, and they'd broken all her ribs from excessive CPR. They were trying to force a tube down her throat, but of course it won't go down when the throat is completely closed up and swollen up. Uh, she'd been unconscious for well over an hour, an hour and 15 minutes or so. I was holding a saline solution in my left hand with a drip going into her arm. Just standing there, she is right in front of me. And I just couldn't believe this is going on and on and on. The pilot from the plane was standing opposite me at the door, weeping, as were all the other people, the flight attendants, etc. And her, she was finally hooked up to just a, a, a defibrillator to watch what was happening with her heart. Um, and through really strenuous CPR, her heart came back. Basically, we were so relieved that we actually high-fived the the paramedics, the French paramedics. <clears throat> but then her heart just went down, the signal. And they went at it again and again and again and again. You know, and they were dripping with sweat. 
utterly just pouring off them, basically from the exertion. Her heart came back just a little bit. They looked and it was just not enough, etc. And I was just like that standing. And suddenly all blanked. They all disappeared except for Natasha's, as you would see someone lying in front of you like that. Feet, head, basically left to right. And the whole light changed and a very bright yellow light appeared, but a soft one, not one where you have to look like that. And it all went monochrome in yellow light, as in one color, basically. And five angels were hovering, what I know as angels, because they were like human beings, long, just like yourself or yourself, not chubby like in Renaissance paintings or something like that, but with wings coming off the back. One, two, three, four, five, just moving from over her like that. I was so taken aback like that, and it dawned on me what that meant, basically. I'd never seen anything like this, you know, ever in my life. I'm not used to seeing any form of, you know, I've never even smoked, you know what, or anything like that, and so on. I don't even smoke at all or anything. I will take any form of prescription, drugs of any sort. So this is not what I'm used to seeing in any way. And I was so shocked. It dawned on me, like in a film, what this might mean. I, with my right hand, whooshed them away and shouted, it's not her time. And as I did that, gone. And suddenly it's back to what I was saw before, which was the, if you like, I call it the reality of everyone there, but motionless. No one was moving and they all had their head down and she had gone. That's how I know she's in heaven. That's how I know. But that came to me later. It's a very hard thing to go through, obviously, and I'm sorry if I'm a bit weepy, but... Um, so, BBC Radio 4 interviewed me about this story I've just told you in depth, a vision of angels and how this has actually led me to Christ. The programme was played on 2019 on Christmas Eve as the main programme, religious programme for the year uh, from, on radio. And it was nominated for an award, etc. But, and if you'd like to hear it, I only put this there so that you can, if you wanted to take a picture or just clock it in your mind, that you can go to BBC Radio Floor, iPlayer, or whatever it's called, and you can you can hear it in more detail. But um, it's called a bright yellow light. <clears throat> so my Natasha, she actually died in front of me, and I wasn't able to save her. Uh, frankly speaking, it's completely broken. 14-year-old Bethany, her best friend, who was with her, with us. She'd been praying from the moment Natasha became ill on the plane. She'd phoned her mum when the plane landed in France and told her through gasps and tears what was happening. And that it is Sunday morning. This was church time when this happened, basically. Her mother was in church, which was the church where we our everyday church in Wimbledon uh, and she called the whole congregation to prayer and they all prayed all day for our girl. Many of them knew and loved her and they prayed to God, prayed to God to let her live. And she died on Sunday morning and it took us until Friday to bring her body back in a sealed coffin in the same aeroplane that we flew back in. I can't remember having to seal the coffin myself. It's tough of your child. Um, two days later, I stepped. 
That was a Friday night, two days later, Sunday, like today. I stepped tentatively into Natasha's church for the very first time. And I wanted to thank these strangers, rather like you. You're all strangers to me, in effect, just as they were those years ago at that point. I wanted to thank them all for this real heartfelt messages that we'd received from them. And I was touched that they'd prayed for my girl. It was kind of rather alien to me, but it, you know, in a sense, but touched. And I didn't know these people. And it seemed so selfless of them to do such thing. And it's not something I was used to at all. I wanted to understand why Natasha, uh, why they did this, sorry. And I wanted to understand why Natasha loved this church, the church in, in, in Wimbledon. It was part of her life and it's something I knew nothing about. And I really hadn't wanted to know anything about uh, previously. Every Sunday as we attended church, I'm not sure why I went, honestly, uh, you know, but, but it had the link to Natasha and that called me to go. I'd sit and listen to the sermons, you know, and listen to music and I'd mumble through those hymns and never sung hymns before, just like we were doing just now. All the while nursing a rising anger in me. Now, I think men can have a certain kind of anger in them that's quite powerful and quite violent. You know, because we've got that ability to turn anger into violence uh, and do terrible things in society. And I recognize that in myself. You know, it's how we can pick up something, an object, and do something terrible with it. That is the power of rage and anger in a man. I can say it just as my own reflection on myself. I actually hated myself, to be honest. I was full of self-loathing. And this was really spilling out into my life all around me and burning, literally burning things that I touched. And particularly my wife, uh, you know, Tanya, and our 13-year-old son, he was 13 at the time, uh, his sister died. I had bought Natasha that food in the airport that killed her. Right? And I had not been able to save her. And where was God? that I was learning about all this time in these in sermons at church, where had he been? He could have saved her. Why did he choose not to? And around around my anger went and it latched onto anything to make it grow like a virus, like that. And as it grew, it spread. I was furious with the company that I'd bought the sandwich from. And I focused on the CEO, the boss of that company, who had attended Natasha's inquest into her death. And the inquest into her death revealed that the company, that company, had hospitalized many people for over two years to the same food and done nothing about it. And they hadn't changed their ways. I was consumed and paradoxically still attended church every Sunday with Tanya and Alex. I say thank God I did that. So this is really, coming back, this is my testimony, and if you can bear with me, I'm sorry if it's a little bit heavy, but it's the truth, and I need to tell it the way it is. Otherwise, you know, it's just embellishment. God will do incredible things in your life if you'll let him. That is really my message, I suppose, and that's what's happened to me. Many people were praying for me as I struggled to survive. That storm that I found myself battling in all the time is very destructive. My journey to faith did not hit me like a bolt of lightning. 
you know, it wasn't like a miracle, it wasn't a remote, you know, the road to Damascus story, if you like, it wasn't that moment. And I can't even tell you when exactly I started to believe in Jesus, in God, and in fact, let's call it the whole story of the Bible. But going to church, it was more like a gentle washing of my spirit, and it helped me to live again, bit by bit by bit, to love again, and to be a good husband to Tanya and a father to Alex, our son. Not just a good husband and a father, but a better one than I'd actually been before. It had been pretty rubbish, frankly. And slowly through prayer and the support of our family church, people like you are really here, I began to forgive myself. And this was crucial for me because I'd been diagnosed with quite severe PTSD from the trauma. And I was suicidal on a number of occasions. And you know, it's a good thing that we don't have too many guns in this country because, as I said, the man will make a decision and just do it. Gone. Very quickly. Um, and as my PTSD symptoms began to lessen, uh, I prayed harder. I started to pray. and started reading passages in the Bible, the very Bible I used to throw in the drawer and close the drawer whenever I went traveling around the world for work. And I began to have a relationship with God. But my anger still refused to go away. And even though I knew it wasn't in line with Jesus' teachings, I was completely stuck in it. It had quite a hold on me, actually. Um, I just didn't know how to even begin to forgive the very person that I blamed for my daughter's death. If I'm honest, I didn't want to forgive him. The anger I felt was like a balm you know, on the pain of my loss. It would rise up and I would welcome it. It's like the devil, really. You know, welcome, you know, saying hello to the devil in a way. To take, it would take, take me over completely. So my feelings of grief would lessen when I felt that anger. It would override that. All that pain and sadness and grief dwelled in my anger. Now, one Sunday, I was sitting in church listening to a sermon of the, you know, which I can't remember exactly which one it was. And Tanya and I, um, had a meeting planned the following week with our lawyers at the time representing us and the company and that CEO I mentioned that I blamed basically for a lot for Natasha's death. But as I was listening to the sermon, my mind wandered and I, a, a scenario totally played out in my mind. Uh, literally, I remember like a piece of theater, you know, and I remember it really vividly. I saw myself sitting in that meeting that was going to be happening in a few days' time at a very large table, like one of those really just massive tables, with a number of people around it. And in my mind, I walked up to the very man I blamed for Natasha's death, and I put my hand on his heart, and I told him I forgave him. I forgave him entirely for Natasha's death. And I told him that with my forgiveness on his heart, he could move forward as a human being and he could be a good father to his own two daughters without any feelings of guilt for what had happened. So that in turn, him as a father would not negatively, his relationship with his own children wouldn't be adversely affected. Now on the way to the meeting a few days later, literally Tanya and I were working out where to go in the centre of London, somewhere we'd never been before. Coming out of the tube station, it was busy in the morning, lots of people, you know, sort of rush hour. The, Tanya's phone rang, mobile phone rang, and it was a lady called Lynn. 
It's a friend from our church. And Tanya answered, uh, and we said, we don't have time to talk. Can we call you back? But Lynn, she was insistent. She was insistent. No, no, no. She had an important message to give us. Oh, okay, right, all right. She'd been praying that morning, and she'd seen me and Tanya, she said, stumbling over a large, unplowed field. She heard God telling her, telling her to tell us not to worry because he would help us prepare the field for harvest and that the harvest would be big. And that was it. She didn't really know what it meant, but that's what she felt compelled to tell us a message. Okay, we went, we thanked her. That's great, thank you. And we kind of went on to the meeting because we were really in that frame, mindset. Now halfway through the meeting, at that big table, exactly as I saw it, one of the company directors who was sitting near Tanya leant over to her, just like that quietly, and he whispered with a smile, the harvest will be big. We learned much later that he was a Christian. Um, now, that was totally out of the blue. We'd never met these people before. Um, so it's like a prophecy that came true, in effect. Now, when the meeting came to an end, without thinking, after an hour and a half, I walked up to that man, just as I saw it in the vision. And that's the man I had murdered in my mind a thousand times, with a knife and a gun, in all the most horrible ways, in my anger. And I placed my hand on his heart and I told him that I forgave him with all my heart and he was visibly shocked. This was a public school educated British person, stiff upper lip, you know, uh, not used to having much, uh, you know, interaction in that way, let's say, if you like. His eyes just welled up with tears and he just said thank you because he just did not know what else to say. Now the thing is, was this hard to do? Actually, no, it wasn't in that moment. It wasn't hard to do at all. I didn't fight it. I was open to being led by Jesus. I think that's it, really, in whatever he, Jesus, wanted me to do. That act of forgiveness was so much harder to imagine, in reality, than to actually do it. Um, and this since, has since been my experience. When we ask Jesus to be at the center of what we're trying to do, it's never as hard as we think. And I think... Those of you who know a bit of your Bible, uh, probably many of you know it better than I do. In Luke chapter 6, verse 37, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Um, and that's very much what you can recognize in what I've just said. Uh, and in Matthew, verse six, um, uh, sorry, Matthew 6, verse 14, uh, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you because we forget. Certainly, I'm probably one of the biggest sinners here, give or take, from my previous life. All those, you know, 50 years of accumulated sin, traveling the world, 26 countries a year, meeting all sorts of people for work and for business. I've done all sorts of things. Now, we have a tendency to sometimes let our minds try and justify and control things, especially around hurt and pain. And this can block our path to Jesus, as it, you saw illustrated in my life. Uh, now the beginning of my journey to Jesus started with a very powerful vision of angels, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that I saw ho hovering over my dying child's body. I know that this is unusual, 
but it is my story and it is my testimony and it is the truth. I can't hide from that. That's what it is. You know, I would die. If, you know, I'd rather die than say something otherwise because that's the truth. Having come to heartfelt Christian faith, <laughs> you can be relieved. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am no longer that man that I was. And believe me, that is a really good thing. I am broken, yes, clearly. Uh, but I have learned to lean on Jesus in many ways and every day. Proverbs uh, 3, I think verses uh, 5 and 6 say, Trust in the Lord all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. I think again this resonates in my life and I'm sure for you too. So I can say I can lean on him in everything I need and he helps me in more ways than I'm even able to count to you today because I'm having to give you a shorter version of, of what's happened to our family just to meet the time here. The Bible, his words, it strengthens and protects not just me but my whole family. I mean it's amazing really. It's like a, a powerful shield actually against the darkness. I mean, I, I don't know what other simple words to say. It's true. And I've opened my heart to him. And having done so, 100% he is in me. And I am in him. And that's a really good thing. So you can see that God needed me to forgive others. And including myself. Including myself. Don't forget that. Completely before he could move in my life. That's a sticking point with forgiveness. and something I want to touch on. My unforgiveness literally chained me to pain. Pain that stopped my life from moving forward and stopped God from being able to move in my own life. It was too easy for me to learn to live sorry, with pain. And I had it for certainly two years. That pain of unforgiveness. It's like an ankle that's twisted and hurting and it won't heal. I was learning to walk with that pain. It was becoming part of me and it was even becoming my friend. But it was stopping me running and jumping in joy ever again. God wanted to release me from this searing pain of unforgiveness and I am testament to that today because I'm still alive and I didn't kill myself. Forgiving someone who has hurt you doesn't mean what they did to you has simply been erased. It's not saying it was okay what you did. It's important. This misconception often stops, I think, people from forgiving because we cling on to that part, perhaps as a misunderstanding. It means you trust your Heavenly Father to take the matter in his own hands and that sets you free. If you've tried but are finding it hard to forgive in your own strength, just think of my story, then just pray, I'd say, and ask Jesus to help, help you to forgive those who have hurt you he sees your heart, you know that. You know he sees your heart right through you. And he will make a way. All you have to do is to be willing to ask for that help. It's really important. So following the inquest into Natasha's death, Tanya and I, uh, well, attended, it was a week long inquest, it was very long. There was a lot of news and cameras and all, all that sort of thing there. But following that, we campaigned for a change in the food laws 
in the United Kingdoms. And we now have something called Natasha's Law, you may have heard of it, in place since last October. And it is a, it's a, a new food labeling law that will undoubtedly save many people's lives. And had it been in place already, it, Natasha would be alive um, today. Um, in 2019, we started a charity called the Natasha Allergy Research Foundation. Names up there. Every day, uh, we remember that God is our ultimate CEO, uh, the ultimate boss of this charity, if you like. And we do lean on him in everything we do. And it really makes a difference, honestly. It's, it's really simple, but it makes a big difference. Um, as a follow-on to Natasha's law, we're working on other big national projects. Because uh, we have to remember there are actually about two to three million people in the United Kingdom with quite severe food allergies. And those people need help and they need protection. Uh, you know, their lives are at risk in many ways. And unfortunately, we know quite a lot of people who have lost their children to food allergies. So we're working on big projects to help those people. And we work in three areas, really. There's regulation and policy. Well, that's Natasha's law. Uh, medical science, trying to work out why on earth are we as human beings becoming more food allergic in, in, to all sorts of things. And of course, education. To date, we're funding medical bursaries and we train lots of doctors and, and medics and all sorts of stuff like that across the UK. Five months ago, we announced uh, something called the Natasha Clinical Trial uh, across the, the media. And this is across five big hospitals, from the north of England right down to the south. And it's a large medical trial, as it's called, and it will give hope to three million people who live with food allergies in the UK. And it will prove, the trial will prove that there's a very low cost way to actually desensitize people who are food allergic, but using the actual very food they're allergic to. That becomes their medicine. And by showing this, we want to show the NHS and our government, whoever that will be at that time, that this is the way forward to help people. You know, children and teenagers and young people continue to die from food allergies every year. And Tanya and I have said we will devote the rest of our living lives on this earth to bringing an end to this horror. And with God's help, we will succeed. Amen. Yeah. So coming back to forgiveness. Nearly finished. I had to forgive before God could move in my life. I think that's quite clear, I hope, through what I've spoken about so far. And it saved my life physically on this earth. So I would say that if you do not, now I'm talking to you all, if you do not forgive, whether family or a friend or a foe, someone you've never liked, if you don't forgive them for anything and everything that has caused you hurt or upset, whether long ago, 40, 50 years ago, or just yesterday, then put simply, you, all of you, are robbing yourself of your own future happiness. And what I'd like to do, just end on a few short lines of a prayer for us all, if I may, if you're willing. Um, I'll just ask you to Bow your heads, or as you feel fit, and just ask God, is there someone in my life that I need to forgive? 
Is it your own mother, your father, a sibling, a work colleague, a friend, a hospital doctor, a religious leader, or even someone whose name you do not know? Please, Lord, show me and help me forgive them, all of them. Help me to remove the chains of unforgiveness that bind me to a life on this earth that is less than the one you want for me. I want to be joyful and feel the rush of true life in my heart. Help me to forgive so I can be closer to you. Lord, you created me, you know me, and you gave me free will. I want to live fully in the glory of your beautiful light and not in that terrible darkness. I come to you now in prayer with open and heart and ask for your help. Lord, please help me to forgive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Wow. It's hard to follow that, isn't it? But we don't want to rush from this place of actually just responding to God. So, Nadine, thank you so, so much. Um, yeah, and we don't just want to disappear off and have Sunday lunch or do whatever we want to do this afternoon. We, we want to ask God, what are you saying to each one of us? I think you've spoken really clearly. And we want to be humble enough just to make today a moment in time where actually we remember this day that Nadine came to speak and shared. And God, you worked in our lives. I think that's what we want, isn't it? Um, Tanya, are you happy to come up? And we're going to take a bit of a risk. You might not have any questions, but do you want to turn to the person next to you and just sort of, have you got a question that you would love to ask Tanya? We're not going to be able to stand here for ages, but just turn to the person next to you. Have you got a question that you want to ask? And we'll get a few from the floor, maybe. Right, come on then, let's ask a question. Do you want to have the mic? And Tanya's been really brave. We have no idea what this question's going to be. Um, good morning, afternoon. Thank you for coming. Um, Sorry, I can have two. First of all, um, your son, is he, is he a Christian? Is, was he a Christian before, um, you, know, you, know, when you, you know, you went to church and Natasha went to church, was your son the same? Or yeah. did he come after, you know, after what happened? And also, what was going, you know, while, while this was, you know, going through, was you aware of and what was your, your thinking of, like, what, how, you know, what was your praying or what was you doing while all that was happening? Um, okay, there's, a, the there's a lot to unpack there. Okay, so no, 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 it's fine. So my journey to being a Christian was very different. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, but I went to um, a Christian primary school and I absolutely fell in love with Jesus as a child. And even though I didn't have a church, I tried a few churches, I couldn't find, I didn't know what to expect from a church. I just went to church and it was nice and peaceful, but I didn't gain anything from it so for a long time I was trying different churches and just to say Natasha brought me to her church that's actually what happened so literally in the January of the year she died she was going to church every Sunday morning getting up you know she was 15 and she was getting up early to go to church in Wimbledon which is a bit of a way I wanted to know why she was doing this so I went with her and just it was incredible I just this was my home this is what I had been looking for so Natasha took me to church Alex our son he wasn't interested in coming to church and um, what happened to Alex was he started going to youth group at 
our church. And it was because Natasha insisted that he go with her on Friday nights. And he didn't want to because he didn't have any friends his age. So she's like, Alex, I'll look after you. Don't worry. And for him, his older sister looking after him was like, great, fantastic, because normally she was telling him off. So she, he really liked the idea of that. And then eventually a couple of his friends from school started going with him as well. So he started hearing a little bit about God there, but not much. But that year she had, um, so she'd been a number of times to New Day, which is a Christian festival in Norfolk. And that year she was going and she had persuaded him to go along with her. Again, he didn't want to, he was, no, I don't want to, I don't know anyone. I'll look after you, Alex, you've got to go, you must go. And of course she died just weeks before New Day. And um, you can imagine it was a very difficult time for all of us at home. It was the very early days of having lost her. But her friends from church, from, from every day, they all said to Alex, Alex, just come, we'll look after you, Alex. And he went, and he went to, he went that August, he went to um, New Day, and the Holy Spirit absolutely fell on him. He came back just full of, of Christ. And he is at University at University. He repeated a year in sixth form because of COVID. And um, it's interesting, Alex has never really had friends his own age who are Christians. They're always a bit older. So then he's a bit too young for them or they're a little bit too young and he doesn't really want to hang out with them either. But he went to the Christian Union just about three, four weeks ago and he is having a blast. He has just met the most incredible Christians his age for the first time, his friends, and just in his halls of residence where he's staying, I think it was 12 or 13 young people his age are Christians and they're all friends. So he's he's really, he's everything he talks about is to do with church at the moment and we weren't expecting that. We're really pleased. So that's an answer to prayers. <laughs> so that that's that answer. Um, and then going back to what was happening with me. Well, for me, it was really difficult because I had been praying for Nad for a long time to for God to humble him, to soften his heart, to believe, to come to church, but not just to come to church, but to accept Christ into his life. And I didn't see how that was ever going to happen. And in a, in a, and I know this is wrong, so I don't want you to think what I'm saying, I do believe now, I don't. But at the time, I felt it was my fault what had happened to Natasha because I'd been praying for Nad to come, to be humbled. And he was humbled. And I was actually too scared to pray for a while. But it didn't mean that I didn't believe in God. I did, and I still love Jesus, and I love God. But I didn't understand. Suddenly, it was just everything was overwhelming. Um, I was very angry as well. Um, but for me, I was, I don't know if you've ever experienced, God can be quite forceful when he tells you something sometimes. And I had a raging a raging anger started rising in me on the flight out to France. Tashi had already died. I found out at the airport that she died and I'd missed getting there in time. And when I was on the plane, this anger, and it's exactly as Nad explained, it's a good feeling because it actually it's a different feeling to your pain. It's something else and it feels quite powerful. And it was growing and it felt like a heat, like a, honestly like a heat, like in cartoons where you see, you know, Tom getting really angry and, you know, Tom and Jerry and his, he gets really, really red and hot and that's how I felt. And then I just heard the words, 
inside my head. No, he needs your forgiveness, not your anger. And it just, as as I heard those words, the anger just went, the heat went, and I, I forgave Nad there and then. And it's never really been an issue ever um, between us. Yeah. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? So I don't want to get into trouble, Duncan, but you are saying one more. Has anybody got one burning question they would like to ask? Come on then, Ivana. I first saw your story on the TV and I was quite touched by what had happened. But however, it's good to see you in the flesh and you're so welcome here. Um, sometimes, you know, family member um, lose a loved one and they're not born again. They don't know Jesus. But a good thing is that, you know, they're never going to see their family again because they don't know Jesus, they don't want to accept Jesus. But a good thing is that both yourself and your husband and your son know Jesus and you will see your daughter again. So through this, God has gotten the glory out of this. And, you know, just rise above and know that your testimony is going to impact so many different lives and you're doing a wonderful thing in society and you will see your daughter again. Thank you. That's so good, Ivana. That's not actually a question, but isn't that great what she said? So let's give uh, Nadim and Tanya a round of applause. Is there anything you want to add if that was a question to what Ivana just said? Yeah, so what I would add to that is um, you never quite know how God is working. You just don't. Natasha started going to youth groups on a Friday night, and I thought, great, she's 12. You know, it's nice for her to do something a bit different. We had no idea where this was going. And actually, everything that's happened in our lives and where we are now is because of Natasha. It's her faith that brought me to her church. It's her, it's just, it's, it's this incredible, the tapestry, you know, we don't know, we just see the beautiful picture on the outside eventually when it's finished, but we don't see what it takes for that to create, which is underneath. And so, um, yeah, I just think just trust and just um, have great expectations for good things when you put your faith in God. Fantastic. Let's give Tanya a round of applause. I'm going to hand over to Duncan now, but I know Tanya has said, you know, if anybody's got any further questions, she's going to hang around at the end and just, yeah, just go and ask her anything. It's really, you know, lovely to have you here and be prepared to do that. Um, we're going to move towards an end uh, relatively soon. I just want to thank you for your searing honesty. I don't think um, any of us will forget hearing the story and the way that you've responded. But I think I want to, in some ways, invite us in a moment to stand because I think there is something that Nadim and Tanya have said about forgiving people that we still need to just to allow God to work in our lives a little bit. And so in a moment, I'm just going to invite the band up. We're not going to carry on for a long time. You know, we're not going to protract it. But I feel I just want to give some moment for the Holy Spirit just to come and breathe in us again. Because I think there may be some people that say, I don't actually, you know, you felt the power of the anger, which you articulated so clearly. And, you know, you understand it. We can hold on to this because it's better than the other thing that we feel. But it, it holds us captive. It holds us in chains. And I feel, you know, one of the songs that we sung right at the very beginning was that God is here to break chains over our lives. And God wants to do that. 
um, this morning. So can I just invite you to stand? Can I invite the band, if you would be able to come back up? Heavenly Father, we, we come to you and sometimes we come to you with great joy and sometimes we come to you with some, a certain amount of trepidation because we think you're doing something in our lives that will change us and it will change us forever. But Lord, you are about changing us into being more like Jesus. And Jesus, you said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they've done. And we're not saying this lightly, but Lord, if we can hear a couple who lose their daughter are unable to forgive, we stand and we say, Lord, we want to learn and we want to be the ones that place our hands, Lord, over those who have hurt us in the past and say, we forgive you. And it may be actually somebody who you'll never speak to. It may be somebody who has died. You're not able to go and actually speak to them in person. But the Lord is about us doing business with him this morning and bringing it to him and say, Jesus, please, would you come and break in? So what I'm going to ask to do is if you know that there is somebody that you need to forgive and you're worried about doing that, in a moment I'm going to ask you simply to raise your hand and then we're just going to pray over you and I think you'll then need to go home and you'll need to pray yourself and in a moment we need to deal with you know even the practical things of getting children and all these things but actually there's a moment that we can't lose so if there's somebody that you know you must forgive can I ask you now just to raise your hand high and clear don't just raise a finger raise your whole arm and say yes this is I need to do this Holy Spirit We choose now, O oh Lord, to give our anger and to give our pain, to give our unforgiveness to you, to give it to you, O oh Lord, knowing that you will carry it. And Lord, we speak forgiveness over those who have hurt us and harmed us and robbed us in the past. God, as we, we give it to you, we say, come, fill us with your spirit again that we would see all that you would want us to see. Oh, Holy Spirit, we ask you, come blow through us again. That we would have this testimony that we've heard this morning of you breaking chains over us, breaking chains of anger and instead becoming fruitful. Father, we just declare over you, Nadim and Tanya, incredible fruitfulness. The harvest will be phenomenal. The harvest will be extraordinary over you. And we pray too, come and do the same thing within our lives as we let go of this. Oh God, come and make us the most fruitful people we know. Come and make joy in our lives in such abundance, oh Lord because you carry our burdens. 
you break the chains over our lives. Father, thank you.